things off today, I'd like us to do a little bit of singing, Jake. Are you are you ready for a little singing? Well, I do sing so sort of professionally, so yeah, I'm ready. Yeah, well, I am going to name some very famous songs, and we're just going to sing, like, basically sing the title, because the title's in the song every time. Okay, Word. you ready? Yep, I'm ready. All right, we're going to kick things off with What the World Needs Now. Oh, boy. You ready? Yep. What, what the, the world, world needs, needs now, now is, is love. love. Sweet love. Okay, singing together doesn't work very well. Maybe we should alternate for the next few. Uh, I think we were. I think we were perfect. That's gonna okay, be a hit next up, again. You, you, you take this one, Jake. Okay. Raindrops keep falling on my head. Oh man. Uh, let me just before I sing a note. Let me just tell you that everybody between the ages of forty and a thousand loves this song. Right, Raindrops go. keep falling on my head. But that doesn't mean my eyes will soon be your turn. Alright, next up is The Look of Love. Oh, your the turn. The look <laughs> of love <laughs> is in <laughs> your eyes. Alright, you're up. Right on. They long to be. Oh, I started singing it. They long to be. Oh, I don't know that one. Just like me. Oh, yeah. They long to oh, be. Oh, of course. Closer to you. All right, you're going to take the last one then, Jake. Right. You're going to love this one. You ready? I'm ready. What's new, pussycat? <laughs> What's new, pussycat? Da, 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 da. Uh, whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa, okay. whoa. These were five songs that everybody knows. Yeah. As far as I can tell. Yeah, everybody. They have one very important thing in common. Uh-huh. They're all by Burt Written. The music is written by Burt Bacharach for all five of those songs, even though they were hits by all kinds of other different artists. Of course. And Burt Bacharach is an important part of today's episode because today on Louder Than Sound, we're looking at the 1998 collaborative album called Painted From Memory by Burt Bacharach and an unexpected collaborator, Mm. Elvis Costello. Welcome to everyone's favorite show, Louder Than Sound. Our first and only question for the contestants is... What's louder than sound? Theoretical noise particulates from the 15th dimension? What's louder than sound? Uh, nothing, Alex, because of course this is a theoretical question. What's louder than sound? What is two brothers, who are mostly similar, but sometimes dissimilar taste in music, asking each other to listen to and absorb some of their favorite music albums based on idiosyncratic themes that they likewise force each other to consider? That's louder than sound. Alright. Welcome to Louder Than Sound. Where my brother Charlie and me. Hey, that's me. Oh, that's you. And me, Jake, that's me. Consider ourselves the original and still the best unlikely collaborators. Uh, <laughs> and that just happens to be the theme of this podcast. And the yeah. next one, as a matter of fact, so tune in next week. Uh, despite the fact that we are brothers, grew up every minute together, basically, and listened to the same music until high school, uh, we're still unlikely. You know, in some yeah. in some way. Yeah. Um, I am fascinated. I think of us more as like you know, the the uh, the buddy cop yeah. films, where it's like two, you know, yeah, two like zany they, guys. Right. Well, they, they butt heads, but they have a grudging respect for one another. You know. <laughs> that's right. I think that's kind of us, right? That's there, right. Yeah. And they spend a lot of time together each week, not getting paid to do podcasts. It's just <laughs> it's like a it's a time worn uh-huh. tale, uh-huh. you know. Uh-huh. Um, I'm fascinated at how ostensibly unlikely collaborators in music seem almost uniformly inevitable after they've released their albums. 
They do the whole, they appear on the talk shows and all of this. Like, it's always like, whoa. Well, everyone loves that, you know? You got an, you got an unlikely collaboration and it makes news. It does. That's exactly what it does. You know? It's always supposed to be a... like, eh, whatever, you know? It's supposed to be a surprise and like, a, what? Those two? What? <laughs> Sting and Shaggy made an album? Oh, we're, we're getting to them. Just a second. <laughs> uh, but by the time that cycle is over, it either worked and you think, boy, that actually made sense, or it doesn't work and you see right through it that it's a cash or a headlines grab, and there's nothing more inevitable than that in the music. And, ever, and everyone talks about how Lou Reed and Metallica made the worst album. Yeah, you gotta, uh, yeah, we, we could we could mention <laughs> that as well. Ever made, apparently. Um, however, I want to shout out um, to the delight of Chaz, who already shouted it out. Um, a, a collaboration that didn't make sense, doesn't currently make sense, and will never make sense, and that's the legendary 44 backslash 876 by Sting and Shaggy. Wow. <laughs> Wow. A masterpiece. The stuff dreams are made of, Jake. Bad <laughs> um, dreams, but dreams nonetheless. <laughs> a masterpiece of nonsense, and although I've never listened to a single note of it, I am actually glad that it exists. What a refreshing mess of idea. What a flex. And apparently, I was reading, I actually went and did a little research uh, on uh, you know, how it got made, because there's a whole thing about how maybe they were, people think they might have actually been a couple or something during Oh, the, man. But I don't think that's even, not true. That would, that would not make true. this even better. No, that I know. so much better. And so you could, you could see how I got so excited to do the research. Like, are Sting and Shaggy a couple? <laughs> but apparently they had so much fun making it and promoting it and explaining themselves to every talk show host, you know, known to man and woman, um, that their joy during the interviews was actually a little contagious. So God, hey. God bless it. And, hey, uh, and with, and with Sting and Shaggy, you know, singing that, that light reggae beat in the background. I just want to, <laughs> I just want to pass it over to you to talk about, um, an actual unlikely collaboration that we're going to talk about today. That we're going to talk, the one that, one that we have actually both listened to. That's true. Rather, we, rather than, we rather did. than neither of us. <laughs> I'm, I just want you to know I am going to buy that album at Barnes & Noble if it becomes 75% off sticker price, though. Oh, I know. You're waiting for it. It's, 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 on, it's on yellow vinyl. It's on the previous episode already. I feel, like, <laughs> I feel like it's come up in conversation. Definitely with me. Maybe on the podcast. I don't talk to anybody else about this kind of thing. So it's all right. Just you. It's all right. Hey, so let's talk about our unlikely collaborators. Yeah. And we're going to start with Burt Baccarat because, you know, he's... He, Jake, let's let's just say it. Burt Bacharach is a monster of soft rock. He's still living, by the way. He's in his 90s. He's still alive. Yeah. He's just the easy listening king. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like no make make no mistake about it. What else can you say about He's, it? I'm gonna I'm gonna rattle off a list of some gigantic songs that he wrote. Um, all of which you've heard, even if you don't realize it. So some things we did already. What the world needs now. Raindrops keep falling on my head. The look of love. They long to be close to you in <laughs> oh you need that what's new pussycat always something there to remind me oh what he wrote that song oh yeah i just wow. don't know what to do with myself wow i'll never fall in love again wow anyone who had a heart mm-hmm. alfie i say a little prayer for you wow walk on by wishing and hoping yeah and praying this and kissing wishing and open yeah. and, and this guy's in love with you and so many others he wrote 73 top 40 U.S. hits. No, 73. 73 of them made it in the top 40. And who knows Wowzers. how many more made it to the top 100. Wow. Um, and then and that's 73 independent ones. Several of the songs became top 40 hits more than once for more than one artist mm-hmm. or just the song, you know, came back into the top 40 again after having left it at some point. Wow. 
guys, you know, he's a living legend. He really is. Let's not let's is not he, mince words. Is he here, still Jake. alive today? I mentioned that like a minute ago, but yes, oh. yes, yes. I was just I was Done dumbfounded that. by all the hits he wrote. I couldn't. Is hear it? Is it? Is it? Is it? I said it before I mentioned the hits, but that's okay. Yeah, I'm not listening. Okay, all right. Yeah, he's in his nineties. He's still living. Um, now it's important to note. You know, he's pretty much just a songwriter, and so he really belongs to this kind of earlier time. I think in a lot of ways, before the, I mean, his hits started in the fifties, but it's mostly through the sixties and seventies is where he's his biggest hits came. Yeah. Um, but he was just, he was just writing the music. He didn't even write the lyrics. He did some performing, but he rarely, rarely wrote lyrics or sang. Hmm. Um, his most famous lyricist is Hal David. Right. And that's, those two names go together a lot, Burt Becker and Hal David. And I didn't write that down, but Hal David did the lyrics for probably most of those songs I just mentioned. Um, and his most famous singer he worked with is by far Dion Warwick. Right. He did a ton of work with Dion Warwick. So, um, of, those, you. of those 73 top hits, 22 of them um, were by Dean Warwick. Oh, wow. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, he's also got, there's lots of giant hit covers because a lot of the songs, you know, he wrote for somebody else and they were covered by somebody else and they went all over the place. And Dean Warwick like, covered other songs he wrote for somebody else. They're just all <laughs> over the place. She's like, that's so there's mine. Been giant hits. There's been giant hit covers by the likes of Dusty Springfield, Christopher Cross. The Carpenters, Perry Como, Doris Day, Tom Jones, Manfred Mann, Cher, Scylla Black, uh, Herb Albert and the Tijuana Brass, oh, Aretha Franklin, Isaac Hayes, Luther Vandross, Roberta Flack, and Patti LaBelle, and probably tons more. But lots of big names have done his songs and gotten hits with his songs. That is a soft rock pantheon right there. Oh I my mean, gosh. Besides it's the obvious, the... you know, like Aretha Franklin or something like that. Like, that is just... Yeah, that's oh, all it's, of, it's that's, all there. It's, it's all there. All there. <laughs> there, are, there aren't many. Who so soft. So soft. <laughs> who haven't dabbled in Burt Becker. Barely rock, or not rock at all. <laughs> <laughs> soft rock, easy listening. <laughs> you listen to that, you're like, oh, this is just easy. It's mm. just easy to listen mm. to. Mm. <laughs> it's easy on the ears, Jake. So easy. Um, so Becker did release some of his own albums. It seems like they were mostly instrumental. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times it's the songs you know, but they're instrumental versions oh, of them. Okay. Um, but he hadn't released any albums in a long time. I want to say since the 70s before wow. the album we're about to talk about. Um, though he kept writing hits, you know. He had still had plenty of hits in the 80s. Not a lot in the 90s by that point. So that's our like our, our setup for Burt Baccarat. Again, you're aware of his work, even if you don't know anything about him. Yeah. On a different coin and different side... I, I know you mentioned coins. Different side of the coin, maybe? Mm. I don't know. I don't mm-hmm. know where I was going with that. Where'd yeah. It go, yeah? Yeah? Sure, flip that we, coin. What's the coin We have flip? Elvis Costello on the other side. Ah, uh, yes. So Elvis Costello, I'm a big Elvis Costello fan. I have been for a while. Um, I kind of feel like there are three main types of Elvis Costello fans. Okay. The fans of the first three years, when he was doing Punk and New Wave. Mm-hmm. His fans of the first ten years, which is his time with The Attractions, his noted backing band, The Attractions. And, uh, and then there's fans of his whole career, which is, did so much different stuff. Um, I'm probably in the second category, in that mid-category, like, you know, I think this isn't the only one of those albums I've really gotten into past 19, is it 86, kind of 87, 86, 87 is when the attractions broke up. No, not attracted I, to each other. I know. No, oh, I'm attracted to the attractions. <laughs> They're attraction. Mm-hmm. Attract, attraction. Attractive. Attractive. Yeah. Attractive Can't attractions. Um... But this is kind of an, this album's kind of an exception, and this usually is considered one of his best, if not his absolute best, post attractions albums. Really, the best one? Well, we'll get to that, Jake. We'll get to it. Oh, okay. 
Um, this is not as strange of a collaboration as it might seem on the surface. Uh, Elvis Costello, I think, to the casual person, is best known for his, yeah, his punk and new wave years and, you know, angry young man type thing. And, you know, he's got a lot of, there's a lot of interesting stories of stuff he pulled off at the time. He comes across as very, like, in your face. and um, But he moved on from that pretty early. Like I said, by his fourth album, he was, he was very much soul-inspired. So he was already doing that by, you know, 19. And he was doing, you know, an album by year at the time. But he's worked in... He's worked in punk, post-punk, new wave, soul, country. He did a full country yeah, album. I think I remember cover that. Cover album from like 1980, 81 or 82. So that's pretty early in his career. Uh, did a lot of orchestral pop, jazz, worked in classical. Um, he's done like every, a lot of Americana stuff. He, you can, he's done an album of just about every American genre. Not even just American genres, but a lot of every genre of music you can think of at this point. Um, his other unlikely collaborators include Paul McCartney, Alan Toussaint, the London Symphony Orchestra, no doubt, and he released an entire uh, <laughs> album collaboration with The Roots. With The Roots? I, with The Roots. Okay. Wise Up Ghost in 2010, 2011, something oh, wow. like that. Wow, don't remember that. Yeah? I don't know if they made it down. I think it's supposed to be okay. Okay. I don't know. I haven't listened to that one. Um, he also actually covered Burt Baccarat in 1977, which is the year his first album came out. So oh, he was wow. already, he had a, did a live cover of I Just Don't Know What to Do With Myself. And was he like, was he like. It was released in a 78 compilation, the live version. So. Was he taking a piss on it like at that time? or was No, he, he really wasn't. No, he wasn't. Huh. I think I read something about that. He, I think people assumed that he was. Right. That's but he punks, really was. That's what punks really do. Was. Right. Well, and that's, he, his label of being a punk is kind of a strange one. I think it's because he, like, I read his autobiography earlier this year. I, I was in a big Elvis Costello uh, kick. Um, he was one of my uh, quarantine listens where I just got, you know, really was listening to him a lot for, for a period for a couple months there. I ended up reading his uh, autobiography, and he talked a little bit about, like, why he got thrown at this. Because, like, his first album is not very, My Aim is True, is not a very punk album. Yeah. I mean, Allison's the only true ballad on there. There aren't a lot of other ballads. Yeah, but... that's, that's not punk. No, that's not punk. But he... Anyway, I, I think he just, he did a lot of short, fast songs, and he talked about how he just kind of like, his voice sounds like a, you know, like a snot-nosed kid or something. There's something about that. Yeah, that, for sure. That he still has to an extent now. It's just something about his voice. And he was trying to, you know, break in, and so he's pulling a lot of, like, weird stunts. Like, he, uh, he got uh, banned from SNL for oh, yeah. 15 years or something, because he was supposed to play the song, and he didn't want to. <laughs> so he told him what he was going to, they started playing it, and then, like, 10 seconds in, he stopped and played a different song. Oh, wow. Did and Lauren he, Michaels apparently was livid. <laughs> did he, like, do the this gig sucks kind of thing? and like? No, it was like, ah, there's no point in doing this. And then he started playing uh, Radio Radio, which was like, not even a single yet at the time. It wasn't even released at the time. But it's a song that's very caustic about mainstream radio and, and the kind of stuff they made him do by playing, making him, telling him you need to play a song he didn't want to play. Oh, yeah. Anyway. What a punk. He covered, <laughs> I don't know. He covered Backrat in, yeah, it was released in 1978, a live cover of a Backrat song. So it's, it's that early. Um, so then, painted from memory, like the way these two fellas came together. <laughs> Apparently they were brought together to do the song for a 1986 movie called Grace of My Heart. Mm. Haven't seen this movie. Never heard of it before I got Classic. into this. Classic. But the movie's apparently about um, pop music in the 60s, which... Backrats all over, so he makes a lot he of sense. He is pop music in the 60s, man. Well, you know, in some sense, yes. 
And so apparently in the movie, you know, it follows uh, some singer who, or hopeful singer who ends up kind of becoming a songwriter instead. And she wants to break into performance. And in some like momentous moment, she sings a song called God Give Me Strength, which was uh, it's the last track on Painted for Memory. And uh, I don't know how Costello got involved in this, like why he was brought in. And because it seems like he, he wasn't just brought in to be a lyricist. He's not doing just the lyrics for it. Because Costello's a pretty, well, like he's pretty regarded for his lyrics. He's got a lot of wordplay and a lot of interesting stuff going on in his lyrics. Um, and so I don't know why, who who picked the two of them, who was like, yeah, these two guys. <laughs> like Backrat makes a ton of sense for this because it's about. Sure. It's like his life, you know, in this. Um, but they ended up, you know, having such a good time with it and did the song, and it was uh, well-regarded. And so Costello says, you know, in, in his autobiography, Jake, no, unf- no. It's unfaithful music and disappearing ink. Called Elvis is my name, no one else has that name. <laughs> oh, man, I'm going to get an anecdote about that if you time for just a second. Oh. You talked about that a little bit, because uh, Elvis died very shortly before his... Oh, I suppose. I mean, his first album came out in 77. That's when Presley died. Oh, wow. So there was really a lot of, like... Because, you know, this whole... His whole... His real name is Declan McManus. It's not Elvis Costello at all. And his his father was a musician also, and he used the last name Costello as a performer, which is a a dynamic name. Yeah, love it. And so they were trying to pick pick out a name, a first name for this character more or less this you know stage name that would have like a ring to it but also be really audacious and really get him in the news right and so they settled on elvis so i guess they talked about possibly changing it and they're kind of trying to come up with other <laughs> names that had like that same feel to it but also this dude so they at one wow. point considered uh him going as jesus costello ah that would have done it <laughs> that would have done it that would have been his he wasn't you know stuck with that his whole career after he grew up a little bit <laughs> <laughs> well, he's kind of he's kind of carried it. it. You don't think of him like you don't immediately think of Elvis Presley when you think of Elvis Costello. So, no, no, you don't. No, there are only two Elvises in existence apparently. But you know, anyway, uh, he said in his autobiography to have written a song like "God Give Me Strength" and simply stopped would have been ridiculous. So about a year later, we began a series of writing sessions, <laughs> which they did, um, and they they did they they got together. They did a bunch of writing. They made this whole here album which we'll get into more in a minute um also notable is that there's a companion album to this called the sweetest punch oh which is all jazz versions of the same songs by bill bill Frizzell. oh yeah i know him it's uh it's a little bit cheesy it's mostly cheesy jazz uh-huh there was no direct involvement from Costello or Backrat in the whole making of the album but Costello does actually do guest vocals on two tracks i think there's lyrics there there's a vocals on i think just three of the songs i want to say but costello does do it on two of them but otherwise they were not involved in that but it's interesting like that this they were maybe made like at the same time as far as i can tell so i don't know if the if they had recorded um painted for memory first or if they just written the songs first i kind of got the impression they wrote the songs first and then handed them over to bill frizzell who made his own version but uh Wow. Interesting. Interesting thought. Oh, wow. I don't know. Well, <laughs> the one so let's roads get into. I know. Uh, I'm going to hand this over to Jake in just a minute and get his thoughts on this album. Okay. Now, I am not going to talk too much about this because I kind of suspect our feelings will be rather similar on this album. Hmm. And I'll get into that more. So I don't want to like reveal too much of my own thoughts. But I think Jake is going to appreciate the melodies and lush arrangement, arra- arrangements. 
but be turned off by the smooth, easy listening graphics, <laughs> which are all there, baby. Oh, they're there. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Go on. <laughs> so that's my main thought. I think you're going to give it a 0.5. Okay. It's not like that hard to listen to, but that the easy listening slant to it, it, it gets you. It gets you. It's got that click drums on there and, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of instruments in there that, you know, yeah. Okay. So I'm, I'm gonna leave it for there. I won't give you any more of my thoughts. All right. right All right. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that you're on the right track, but I think I'm going to I think I'm gonna surprise you a little bit uh, by saying that I sort of hate this album. Oh, okay. Sort of like, I think it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's by far the worst thing you've made me listen to uh, during oh, this podcast. Wow. Yeah. I would okay. uh, I would rather listen to Bjork making sucking noises with her mouth um, because. <laughs> Um, which you've also done. <laughs> which I have, I have definitely done that. But I didn't turn that off. Um, I find uh, I find the whole project, this one, um, sort of grating and annoying. Um, and it was the first time I didn't give you the courtesy of listening to the entire thing. I couldn't make it through. Wow. Wow. Um, in fact, the first time I tried to put it on, uh, my long-suffering wife said, I don't like this, please turn it off, within, <laughs> like, one verse. And she didn't even want to make fun wow. of it. Like, it wasn't even something we wanted to make fun of. She just didn't like it at all. Um, I kept waiting for the track that I might be willing to put on my standout tracks list, and I'm still waiting. I never got there. Interesting. Um, I think it's like a really bad example of pastiche um, by otherwise serious artists that I can recall. Okay. Um, and granted, this is probably all preference-based on my part, um, but I never liked that back rack swinging maudlin sound yeah, anyway. No. Yeah. So um, to hear it kind of faithfully reproduced in a more modern time, almost exactly the same, like was... It almost seemed like a disservice to Bacharach for some reason. Like I didn't, okay. I didn't like it. I thought it was so so schmaltzy, and yet so calculated at the same time. Uh, the saccharine strings, the female backup singers, the plight bombast, the the really anodyne lyrics. You know, all those just love lyrics about breakups that don't mean anything. Um, I think this belonged to a time, and that time ended about seventy years ago. Maybe, maybe seventy <laughs> years ago. 60, maybe? 50 is 60? I mean, you've got, you got to at least give, you know, Bacharach up to the early, up to the mid-70s. Well, know? yeah, I mean, as a songwriter, yes, but this particular sound is that early 60s, late 50s, um, you know, extremely polite, adult-oriented kind of mm-hmm. uh, kind of thing that people were clinging to. Um, and rock and roll, which, you know, I, I love um, as a genre, was engineered to murder this music. <laughs> I thought I thought that it I thought that it had. I thought that it successfully had. You don't you don't actually hear too much of this sound, um, this background okay. sound these days. No. Like it just it no. doesn't play. You don't. No. Um, and I don't know if this will shock you as well. And maybe you already know this, but I've never liked Elvis Costello that much either. Oh, no, I didn't know that. I, I thought you were at least into his first couple albums. No, not really. I, I tried a okay. couple times. Um, he seems okay. like kind of a D to me for some reason, which that, that, might, comes, not, that might not be true. He, I don't know. He was at that time. At the okay. early, in his early years, he totally was, yeah. Yeah, and, but, even, but even, you know, even his, like, genre hopping and him, like, not to say that his work is bad or anything like that, but, like, mm-hmm. to just come in here, like, he makes this weird appearance on um, on the, the Bob Dylan, it's the, oh, what do they call it? further down the road or whatever. It was the rest of the Basement Tapes lyrics that Bob Dylan somehow didn't write a thousand oh, songs yeah, yeah, to. Yeah. And he just kind of he just kind of hops on there, you know, it's like, hey, Elvis Costello's here, everybody. But, like, what does he have to do with Bob Dylan in the 60s or whatever? Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, I think his, you know, I suspect his place in actual punk history is kind of dubious. 
um, for whatever reason. I don't want to research it to find out if my suspicions are correct. Well, again, I don't. But, I don't think he was full, truly a punk in a, in a lot of sense. Right, right. But I think he's he's. he's and I don't think sex. I don't think he ever claimed he was either. Yeah, he may not have. He may not have. Um, I don't like his voice, and his later career pork pie hat annoys me. Um, and his choice to resurrect Bacharach, despite having worked with him, you know, um, uh, in person, sort of rings hollow to me. And I don't, I don't even know why. It might just have been a bad idea for a listener like me. So, uh, wow. in, in short, okay. get this out of my face. I want the 35 minutes I wasted on this back, and I give it a negative four out of five. I Holy smokes. did not like it at all. Wow, that's a, by far the lowest we've got. That's worse than I gave Roy yeah. Acuff. And I basically just said, this is stereotypical <laughs> country and I don't like it. That was yeah. all I really said. Yeah. yeah. I don't even have that thing where I'm like, well, this sounds well-made or whatever. I, I guess it is technically, but mm-hmm. what they're making is so worthless to me that I, it didn't even matter that it was well-made. Wow. Okay, Boom. well... I there suspected our things were rather similar, and they are not at all. <laughs> you had a, you had at least a little bit uh, going on with the, uh, you know, saying how how schmaltzy or like how oh yeah uh, it sort is. of anodyne it sounds, but that like yeah. it like uh, it graded on me rather than just being yeah. something that I thought about. All right, well, uh, I'm gonna kick things off with a of my own thoughts with a quote I already used a couple episodes back, and that was timbral fascism sucks. There it Daniel is. Daniel of uh, One Oatrix Point Never. Um, and his whole point in that was, you know, is when it, the reflection of like what this brings up in your mind sometimes. It's just, it brings up other types of music. And some of that's purposeful and sometimes it's not fair. And, you know, I think we had a big discussion about this yeah. with Roy Aikman, actually. We did. Um, and so my first listen to this was, I was totally recoil- recoiling at those easy listening flourishes. And, and you said it sounded just like the 60s. I heard a lot of like that late 80s, early 90s. Like my wife listened to it too, and I remember her first. Oh, you did? Well, I've heard like, I'm trying to think of what, who am I even like thinking of? Like Seal or something like that. Okay. You know, okay. like that kind of, it had that kind of sound, that kind of feel to it of the cheesy. There's a lot of cheesiness to it, that clicking drum, the, you know, there's a lot of that that I, that I felt. That felt more recent, also. Not okay. that it maybe, wasn't just old, but you maybe know. I didn't make it to those tracks. It's more of a, well, no, I'm, I'm thinking this from the beginning. Oh, okay. Um, now I am a big Costello fan, and I actually helped, thought I thought that Costello's voice helped in this regard because he's not a crooner. He's not right. He doesn't belong on these, and I felt like it, it brought it down to earth a little bit more. Um, he's not Dion Warwick, you know, like he's not. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's the Dion Warwick thing. That's as easy. Yeah, that's as easy as it gets. Yeah. You know, and so the the roughness to his voice because not that he's a bad singer but he doesn't he, he doesn't have that smooth polished tone and you know and he's a better singer by now than he was you know 20 years ago when his career started um but he's not that crooning sound which i felt like actually helped it you know made it a little bit rougher um i don't know what got me to keep listening to this i like i said I, i've not been into this album very long um it probably it was just during my more recent probably six months since i oh, started okay. listening to this album the first time and it was during my more recent Elvis costello Resurgence is I just had never listened to it and it was high regarded so I listened to it and it like I wanted to give it a fair chance but it was but after a few listens it it starts to feel less repugnant it wormed it wormed its way into your soul and it really grew out of me and it ended <laughs> wow. up being I know I I legitimately liked the first song like right away or more or less you know pretty soon I liked the first song pretty soon. Um, but it really grew on me. I really like the, it's got some stately, some interesting arrangements. There's some unexpected things going on. There's a lot of instruments coming through there. Um, 
it's got good melodies and it's but it's definitely a sad album also um you mentioned that that lyrically it's pretty much entirely the whole thing is about breakups right. like all breakups beginning we're not talking like you know your girlfriend dumped you after three months this is like the 15 year marriage yeah. broke down like it's it's that type of stuff it's like it's frank sinatra call. you know singing about his cigarette smoke wafting through his sad air yeah that felt more like like loneliness <laughs> like he couldn't get a girl in the first place you know you know like that felt more of a like couldn't this this is so clearly about a long-term relationship that broke mm, down okay um, some of my favorite songs on there are In the Darkest Place, which is the first one. I still have that other girl, which, Jake, Uh-oh. won a Grammy. What? Well, I won, won a, a Grammy I won a Grammy for, just now, so. For best pop collaboration with vocals. <laughs> By two men. Uh, and who? I got a little bit of a tease, Jake, because I don't know if you picked up on this, <laughs> but the album you're doing next time won yeah. two of this exact same Grammy. <laughs> Did it? In, yes. two, in two consecutive years for, the, for our songs on the same album. Somehow, I don't know how that works. I don't know how it works either, but it, I, I did note that they somehow won Grammys in two years. Uh, so yes, you'll, you'll be excited to figure that out next week album. on Louder Than Sound. <laughs> uh, Painted for Memory, the title track is another favorite. I uh, will fully admit it's too long, and there are a couple full-blown stinkers on there. Mm-mm-mm. Um, this house is empty now. Whew. Stinky. Yeah, so that one, oh, that one go. Uh, Long Division and Tears of the Birthday Party. Those two are mostly because they're lyrically. So, I mean, Elvis Costello from early on, he's got a lot of wordplay and a lot of little things thrown in there, and it, there's a lot to it. Um, and I've read, like, I don't remember. I won't get into that. Um, this felt like the Long Division, or Long Division is the name of the song. And it's all about, like, you know, dividing up, like, it's a clearly a relationship with a third person, you know, where someone else cheating on. Mm, the third so it ends up being, you know, a love triangle. Sure. And so it's dividing the three down into two. But he, he just drags this uh, this metaphor out, which would have been a fine, like, throwaway line, you know, in the middle of a song. Yeah. But pulls this thing out through the entire <laughs> song. Oof. Same thing with uh, Tears at the Birthday Party. It's all about people crying at birthday parties. Yeah. Like, birthday parties just keep going. You, you got through that one. <laughs> You might not have made it to Long Division. That's I don't know. Half. I have no idea. But Tears at the Birthday Party, is that's, that's in the first half. And so that got a really got kind of painful, is some of that stuff. Yeah. Um, and and the lyrically, it's almost a concept album, honestly. Yeah. It's so about broken relationships and nothing else. Um, but I, there's a lot I like inside of it. And again, I like, I'll go back to, you know, having trouble with it at first, but ended up liking it afterwards. Uh, my wife, the first time she, she, I was listening to it, she came in and she's like, what are you <laughs> listening to? It's like soft rack cheese. And then she told me I was listening to it again while doing the dishes uh, the other day while getting ready for this podcast. And, uh, and the day after, she, uh, she kind of like sheepishly was like, uh, that album you're listening to, I, I was really, I was really kind of getting into it. Oh, really, God, Claudia, really no! So that's what I'm saying, Jay, because I don't know, you know, I'm not, I'm not that I'm saying you have to listen to it I, again, I will I not. It, I think it does change it. It's a grower. Yeah. No. Anyway, I overall like this album quite a bit. I don't think it's a masterpiece, but um, I give it a two. A twoer. A twofer. A two. I okay. like it. I like it. Sure. Um, I got a little bit of follow-up here just on this because the collaboration continued, Jake, in Wow. Way, so we're Did it. This really Did quick. it now. Apparently later on, about 15 years, about 10, 15 years later, they were working on turning this album into a musical. Oh, boy. Into the mid-teens. Great. They wrote uh, 10-ish new songs, unclear about all that. A mixture. It was, the musical apparently would be a mixture of songs off this album and some new ones. Um, it got as far as meeting into workshops, 
but it fell through for some reason. Uh, Costello mentioned that he thought it was probably because it was, you know, a musical all about like sad songs about people breaking up. Yeah. <laughs> like nobody wants to see that in a musical. Yeah. Um, interestingly, Jake, this will be our last little piece here before you kick things off. But they also worked on a different on music for a different musical. And this musical was based on this one also doesn't seem it's gonna happen, but it was based on an iconic I'm, some, uh, I'm screwing this up. I'm, 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 I'm doing a multiple what? choice question here, Jake. Okay. Oh, you are? The music oh, for a goodness. proposed musical. And it was based on what iconic but not very good 1990s film film franchise? Oh, boy. Are you ready, Jake? Okay. Wait, 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 wait. The Burt Bacharach and... Burt Bacharach and Elvis Costello. We're working on a musical about this, about one of the choices you're about to give me from a yes. failed... Film franchise from the 1990s. No, I said a, you know, a not very good one. A not very good. Okay, so not failed. Yes. It's an iconic but not very good. Iconic film but franchise. not very good, which yes. is probably all of them. Got it. Was it the Home Alone series? Oh my gosh. Was it Scream? Okay. Was it Austin Powers? Uh, mm hmm. Or was it Free Willy? It was. Definitely Austin Powers. It was Austin Powers. Yeah. You're right about that. <laughs> because he makes the, the, all the music in that is basically Burt Bacharach music. Oh yeah. Except and apparently for they make the two of them make a brief appearance in one of them. Do they? Wait, Costello yeah, I, and no. Bacharach do? Yeah, together. Performing oh, just... one of Bacharach's performing a Bacharach song in in the movie. Did they just take a flat in London together too? Like are they just like the new the new odd couple? They're good buddies. <laughs> Well, apparently Backrats worked with uh, Diane Krall, Diana Krall, who is Elvis Costello's wife. Oh, yes, uh-huh. At some point, too. And a very, a very famous jazz singer. Oh, yes, yeah. Yeah, she is. Parents like her. Wow. And apparently there is going to be a compilation coming out later this year, Jake, with some of those tracks from the failed musicals. So, Golly. You know, the, the one thing I like almost better than 60s Backrat pastiche is musicals. You know me. <laughs> I can't wait to hear so, that. Sixteen background <laughs> prestige as a musical. I can't. I can't wait to not pick that up. Uh, and next time. All right, Jake. Well, <laughs> tell us what was what's happening next. Time. All right, that was a wild ride. Let's do uh, next time. We're going to continue our unlikely collaborations series, uh, a series of two, and I'm going to be taking the uh, the reins and talking about Robert Plant and Alison Krauss's collaborative effort, Raising Sand, from the year 2007. So you can look forward to that next time on Louder Than Sound.